First Class Fatherhood. That is where Alec Lace comes in with his popular podcast. And one of the most interesting was on a podcast. Alec Lace interviews high-profile fathers from actors to NFL players with a vision to change the narrative of fatherhood and family life. Welcome, everybody. Episode 696 of First Class Fatherhood. I am happy, as always, to be here with you guys today. And we know that Major League Baseball officially got their season underway yesterday with opening day around the country. And today I got a guest for you guys who covers sports on a daily basis. Chad Withrow joins me on the podcast. Chad Withrow hosts a show on the Outkick Network. Formerly the show was called Outkick 360, but right after our interview was done, they recently rebranded the name of their show. It is called now Outkick Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. Chad has been covering Nashville sports locally, statewide, and SEC college issues since back in 2004. His show, Outkick Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow, kicked off their MLB coverage yesterday with Kurt Schilling, who is an MLB legend. I had the opportunity to meet Chad while I was in Nashville recording with uh, Tommy Laren for her show. I really enjoyed this conversation. I know you will, too. Chad Withrow will be here with me in just a few minutes, so please stick around for the interview. And today's interview with Chad Withrow was recorded on video and is available for you guys to watch on my YouTube channel. So if you'd like to watch today's conversation, please subscribe to First Class Fatherhood on YouTube. Link is in the description of today's podcast episode. All right, as I mentioned, I met Chad in Nashville. If you missed out on my interview with Tommy Laren on her show, Tommy Laren is Fearless, I highly recommend you guys go and check it out. You'll find a link to that in the description of the podcast episode as well. And let's be honest, there's no better feeling as a father to bring your son or your daughter out to the old ball game to take in a Major League Baseball game. And you guys can save $20 on your tickets if you go to SeatGeek.com or the SeatGeek app, buy your tickets, and at the checkout, use the promo code FIRSTCLASS. That's one word, FIRSTCLASS. You can save $20 on your tickets. I know that the prices have gone up everywhere. We know about it. So saving 20 bucks will definitely be a help. Help you buy that round of hot dogs or buy yourself a beer, the kids a soda. So take your kids out to the ballpark and save $20 on First Class Fatherhood. Buy your tickets on SeatGeek.com or use the SeatGeek app and plug in the promo code FIRSTCLASS and save 20 bucks on your tickets. All right, make sure you lock it in. I got an action-packed week next week as we climb towards episode 700. Got a special guest lined up for you guys. Be sure you follow me on Instagram at Alec underscore Lace for all the upcoming guest announcements. And if you have an opportunity, please let me spread the word about this podcast every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list and let them know about the show that's here celebrating fatherhood and family life. You guys know it. Father's Day is every day right here on the podcast. And here comes my interview right now with Chad Withrow on First Class Fatherhood. Joining me now, First Class Father, Chad Withrow. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Alec, appreciate you having me on, man. Really excited to join you today. Well, pleasure to have you here. Let's start like this. How many kids do you have? How old are they? Two kids, seven-year-old girl, three-year-old girl. So I'm in the process right now that every other parent I talk to about parenting says, just wait, right? That's the just wait. It's 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 gonna get gonna get much more difficult as they get a little bit older. But uh, I'm loving life right now with a seven and three-year-old. I can tell you this much. Uh, my, my oldest is 16 and uh, my youngest is eight. I can tell you this as far as I know. It only gets better from here, from where you are. And I, I, I really 
Uh, I, I can't stand so many of the dads give that warning. And I don't know if it's like a rite of passage or it makes them feel like they're going through it or whatever. But we, <laughs> that's one of the things I talk about is we got to get dads to start being more ambassadors for fatherhood and encourage the young dads to know that good things are coming. It's not all gloom and doom that's coming your way. So uh, from me, I would say uh, the best is yet to come. So uh, you, 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 try, you guys going to try for the boy here? Or are you all done with the two girls? I think we're all done with the two girls. And, and it's funny because I get asked all the time, you know, do, do you want a son? And my response is not really. You know, I've got a lot of friends with sons that they're great. Uh, not not opposed to having a son, obviously, but it's more of a I, I feel very content uh, with the, the two daughters in my life. And I, I don't feel like I'm lacking for anything, you know, being a girl dad and, and having two girls. So that's been great. And it's following up on your previous point. I, I will say that it's been amazing to see every little stage so far. Like, uh, you know, people say that, boy, time flies when you have kids. I think the opposite. You know, to me, time flew from 18 until I, I had kids. And now time, I feel like it's slowed down a little bit. And you get to sort of appreciate and accept every little stage of, of their life so far where they become this little person and they have a personality and you can see a little bit of yourself in them. I, I'm loving that part of it as, as our three-year-old now. Uh, she just went on a trip to see her in-laws in Nebraska and she comes back and she's a different little person. You can tell she's developed a little bit more and she's developing her own personality. I think that part of it's really neat. Yeah. And I think to your point, Chad, too, I think one of the reasons for that is because becoming a father makes you a lot more aware of what's going on. You're more focused on things. You're more present in the moment a lot more time. So I think that could have something to do with it. Uh, and if you could, Chad, please, for those who don't know, if you could take a second here to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Yeah, so I'm a host of Outkick 360. It's a part of the Outkick network. Uh, we're under the Fox umbrella, and we are a sports and culture website and get into a, a lot of different things on the site. But specifically, my show, we're sort of the sports branch of the Outkick tree. And every day from 3 to 6 Eastern time, my co-host Jonathan Hutton and I we're talking about all the biggest stories in sports and sometimes culture and politics and life intersect with sports. And we'll, we're not afraid to talk about those issues also. But we are first and foremost, foremost, a sports show. We're on eight different radio stations across a, a radio affiliation. Uh, we're online everywhere on YouTube, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. You can find us on Outkick.com on the website or on podcast, wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to the show every day. But uh, I'm into year three now with OutKick. Before that, I was a longtime sports talk radio host in, in Nashville, Tennessee. That's still where we're based with OutKick and where we live. But made the jump in early 2021 to do more of a nationally focused show as opposed to local sports talk in the state of Tennessee. So it's been exciting. It's been scary at times, but it's been a lot of fun with OutKick and OutKick 360. Yeah, and as you mentioned there too, Chad, I mean, we talk about sports and politics now have seemed to have in in intertwined more than ever. I don't remember ever growing up uh, politics being mingled with sports at all. And I think, I guess it's maybe I would say it started with the uh, kneeling uh, for the flag during the anthem. I think that's kind of what really woke a lot of people up to like, wait a minute, what's going on here? And that kind of turned the tide a little bit. Whereas, and, and then we've seen, of course, with the Black Lives Matter. I know even my son plays uh, uh, Madden football on the uh, on the whatever it is on the PlayStation or whatever. And they even have the end racism thing in, in the in the end zone. It, Black Lives Matter flags are in the game. And also 
also, too, obviously with the COVID-19, uh, the pandemic, that became a thing where you can't play. And there were certain players that stood up. Uh, what has that been like uh, for you? And I, I guess, is it is that the future here? Are we going to see politics and sports more intertwined than ever before? I don't think you can escape politics a lot of times in, in, in life today in America, just the way things are divided and where we are. I think in terms of sports, we've seen time and time again that when you start to put politics into sports, it's also amazing to me what's considered politics now, right? If you honor veterans or honor the military, that is seen as a political stance. You know, that that is a right wing conservative ideal. And I'm thinking, isn't that just an American ideal? I don't know when it split, maybe around the Vietnam War, but where progressives or liberals or Democrats are on one side of that and Republicans are on the other and they honor the flag and they, you know, honor veterans and I just think that's kind of a no-brainer to honor those who, who serve the country. So I, I don't see that as a political issue. But when sports are most successful and sports fans are watching sports the most is when politics are completely out of it. Sports are an escape. You watch it because you want to get away from the daily grind. You want to get away from what you see on, on the news. And you want to watch sports and you want to enjoy it. We try to do that on our show as, as best we can. But I think sporting events as a whole, they, they need to get back to that. I think they're starting to a little bit. How different networks cover sports can be colored by their politics as well. And that's part of it. And, and I think, you know, color and race is a part of it. I think there are a lot of people that I know that have issues with Colin Kaepernick kneeling for the flag that won't speak up and say anything about it because they're afraid of being labeled a racist if they do so. So I think that the fear of being labeled something is a part of it. And that's why a lot of people don't, don't, it's not even a political thing. They, they just won't speak up and say what they believe because they're afraid of being called a racist by someone, even if that is a fringe minority of people that are crazy and call people names all the time online. They don't care. They don't want to be labeled a racist in any way. So they're afraid to speak up. But I think all of that intertwining with sports, culture, politics, that's a big part of the Outkick brand. But my stance on sports is when I'm watching a game, I want to get away from that, and I, I want politics to be out of it. Yeah, I, I think every sports fan really does at the at the end of the day. And I remember doing an interview uh, with uh, Eric Bieniemy uh, this year at the Super Bowl, and I knew it was the last time when he was playing uh, uh, the Buccaneers. Who was the defensive coordinator there for the Bucs? It was another black uh, uh, coordinator. Bowles. Right. And I was in the room with both of these guys, and it was like every question was about them being black uh, them playing, uh, coaching in the Super Bowl, and Eric Bieniemy not getting a head coaching job because he was black, and it was like every question. And I started to feel like it was like so cringy. Like here are these reporters, and they kept saying like, "Hey, listen, I I'm a coach. I'm not a black coach. I'm a coach." They, they, but they wouldn't take that as an answer. They kept trying to force the race issue with these guys, and they weren't having it. And that kind of made the media guys upset that they weren't diving. They, they wanted like that soundbite where they were like, "Yes, everybody is racist." It's like that's what they were hoping to get, and they weren't getting. And it made them more frustrated. And just sitting there, I'm looking to ask questions about them, about being dads and sharing this experience with their kids. And these people are asking these these you know racial questions. Like, who cares? Like, these guys have said enough already. But it seems like the media wants to push that issue. They they do, and I think it's it's twofold with the media. And I I say this all the time, and I think this is pretty obvious, but people get upset when I say it. A lot of people who go into media and are members of the media and are, are journalists, you know, with a capital J or a lowercase j journalism, uh, they're they're liberal. You know, they're they're progressive. They, they get into it 
And they oftentimes go to, you know, colleges that are pretty liberal and they get into that profession. So that that's not a knock on it. That's just a reality to me. So if you are one way politically, that's going to naturally come out in your writing, your speaking, your on-air presence on television when you cover sports. So I think we see a lot of that with, with people who cover sports oftentimes, that they are very uh, left-wing uh, p- politically, and you're going to see that come out more and more. The second part of it is, I think, is clicks. I think they have bosses, they have editors who are telling them when they go to that Super Bowl press conference or they go to that AFC Championship press conference, hey, we want to write the story about Eric Bieniemy not getting head coaching opportunities, or we want to write the story about Todd Bowles being a black coach in the in the Super Bowl, and we want some sound bites on that. So I think oftentimes the reporter takes it upon themselves. I think sometimes they're told to do that because they know that with that headline, and you can be salacious about it, you can sensationalize it, however you want to put it, you put that headline on there, and people are probably going to click on it either to hate read it or to love read it. And that's what their editors know, and I think they get that that edict from their bosses at times. Yeah, it, it's so sad to see because, like you said before, it's, it, it, the the actual true sports fan could care less about all that stuff, but it is just being jammed down uh, everybody's throats. And and I wanted to, I wanted to kind of get your take on something here too, Chad, because uh, I'm a recovering al- alcoholic, addict, a gambler, the whole bit. So I, I grew up gambling on sports. I mean, I, I knew how to read a racing form before I ever read a book in my life. You know, I, I, I was just thrown into it. Uh, I, I loved it. It got me in a lot of trouble. The gambling part of it, sports gambling, uh, all about teasers and parlays, you know, uh, running, booking in school, the whole bit. Now we are seeing more than ever, every single sports radio show, I'm not sure if you guys are sponsored by too, but it's DraftKings, FanDuel, uh, Fantasy Football. The gambling aspect of sports has now been incorporated. You hear announcers talking about it during the game, point spreads and uh, and, and everything. And it's like, it was all so taboo growing up. Like you kind of did it in the corner, like it was a hush-hush thing. Now it's out and proud. And I worry about how so many people who never would have gambled before are now gambling on sports. And how is that going to affect these kids who are growing up now seeing their parents all gambling on football? What's your take on gambling on sports right now? Well, let me start by saying my experience growing up was very different from yours, the way the way you describe it. Um, my parents didn't gamble. I didn't really know much about sports gambling. I probably really learned about it in the last eight to 10 years in terms of point spreads and money lines and, you know, over under and all of those things in, in sports. And I still don't really understand, you know, horse racing and, and things like that. So I was a relative newbie to it, you know, when, when this all started. We do talk a lot about, you know, lines and I'm more interested in the math of it, just seeing a line before the game to see what Vegas thinks about a game than I am gambling on it. My experience with gambling is I'll bet three or five dollars at a time, maybe ten dollars. I don't think I've ever had more than three hundred dollars in my online account. And then if I run out, I may put in, you know, $50 here and there, but that's about it. Um, It has not affected my, you know, dealings with my kids or or anything like that. Now there are people who develop problems with it. I'm not going to run from that. Right. And I think when you make it more readily accessible, that could lead to issues uh, with people that are more prone to gambling addiction. I, I don't have a problem with it. I don't spend a lot of time on the app. I don't think my daughters would even, you know, know that I'm watching a game and that I might have $5 on it or $3 on it as I'm watching it. Most of the people I know who gamble a lot tend to have the means to do so. 
you know, there are stories of people who gamble more than they have and they end up losing a ton of money and it affects the mortgage or it affects, you know, childcare payments or private school payments or whatever it may be. And that is a shame. And that is a problem when that happens. I can only speak from personal experience. I don't bet too much on on games money-wise. The people I know that bet big on games have the money to do it, and it's more of a luxury item for them. It's an entertainment expense when they bet bigger on games. So that's been my experience with it so far. I, I don't think it's affected anyone in my house, and certainly my daughters probably don't even know that I'm betting on a game at the time. But when the time comes, we'll have the conversation. You know, if they're old enough, they're 18, they want to get a DraftKings account or a FanDuel account or whatever it may be, uh, we'll we'll have that conversation and, and and you know make sure they understand to be responsible with it. Yeah, there's definitely a sickness involved in it. I know just from being in the thick of it, the the best feeling in the world was gambling and winning. The second best feeling was gambling and losing, and it's just <laughs> that that type of feeling that goes into it. So I I just kind of but I then again it's one of those things where I don't know how you kind of contain it because by not legalizing it and making it available, everyone kind of runs to the underground way of of a street yeah. bookmaker. And so I I don't know if it's the right thing, the wrong thing. I just know that so many more kids are being exposed to it at an at an early age. And I don't know if that's good or not, but I do know that it's been, uh, you know, embraced by all of the sports leagues now where it used to be like you could never even mention the word gamble uh, yeah. while you were uh, you're talking uh, if you were a player or a coach. But now it seems like uh, it's totally fine and so cool. Yeah, it removes the stigma from it, I think. And I think that can be a good thing about it when it's more of a, a household name with sports books, the ads for it. During games, you'll see the the lines, the bottom of the screen for for each team. Yeah. Uh, networks have embraced it a lot more. I think when you remove the stigma from it, it probably you know makes it more accessible. But I think makes it where there's not this criminal stigma about it, where you not only get the thrill of the bet and winning the bet, but you get the thrill of doing something that you think is wrong, which is very much a thing you know for people. Um, the allure of that. So I don't think that people have that thrill anymore with it. You know, when I was growing up, I was in a fraternity at, at the University of Tennessee, and I feel like every fraternity had a bookmaker. They had one guy who was a bookie who would run lines and he would take bets for the fraternity. And it was like, the you know, oh, man, you're going to place a bet with this guy. It was the cool, alluring, also bad thing to do. That's gone away now that, you know, every time you turn on a sporting event, you know, you can look during a break and see someone in there talking about the latest offer at one of these sports books. Yeah, it's incredible. And and what else too, Chad, is that what has changed is the sports coverage itself. Growing up, for me, you know, in the New York, New Jersey area, all we had was WFAN. We listened to Mike Francesa, Mike and the Mad Dog. I had Chris Russo here on the podcast too, which was pretty cool because I kind of grew up listening to him and Mike you know, on the radio, but that's really all we had access to. Now it's so specific and specialized. If you're into a certain team or you're into a certain sport, there's podcasts, there's radio show. There's so many more options right now. You've been doing this for a long time. Uh, it's, uh, radio. Now this, what's been the biggest change for you uh, in sports coverage since you began to where we are now? Boy, it's been a huge change. So I started in 2004 and when I, in 2004, when I came out of college and I started working at a sports talk radio station, but if you wanted to get into media, it was in sports media, sports talk radio. It was a local TV affiliate. We we're going to go cover high school games and, you know, take a camera around on your own and cover the local college basketball teams and all of that. Or it was newspaper, right? Websites were starting to become a bigger thing where you could go right online. But for the most part, you were going to go cover a sports team or cover an area for a local newspaper. 
And now that has ballooned to podcast and video cast and everything else out there. It has saturated the market. You know, the, any anything you want to hear about, there's probably 10 to 20 options at least for that. If you wanted to hear about Seton Hall basketball, as an example, I bet you could go find five to 10 shows specifically about Seton Hall basketball. That That's new. You know, we talk about everything across the country, but we're one of, you know, hundreds of shows that do just that. So we've been able to separate ourselves with the help of OutKick and the Fox brand with what we do, but it's just so different. I, I tell college kids may come to me and say, you know, what's your advice for breaking into sports media? And I tell them, well, the way I broke into it was so traditional then, and now everything is so non-traditional. I'm probably not the best person to ask, but my advice is always be able to do everything and be everywhere at once. And what I mean by that is if you can write, if you're good on camera, if you're good on mic, if you can do all of these things well, there's going to be a place for you and make sure it's everywhere. Now, that was a big thing about going to OutKick was it was the chance to be everywhere. You know, we're on every type of social media platform. We're on digital, on the website. We're also on radio. We didn't want to give up radio. That's a very old school thing. But much like you listening to WFAN growing up, you know, I grew up listening to Sports Talk Radio with my dad. I worked for the Sports Talk station and the Sports Talk host that my dad listened to growing up. And it was a thrill to be able to work in that business. And people still value sports talk radio and they want to be a part of and it's a very personal medium so we didn't want to ditch that we wanted that to be a part of what we're doing and so that's why we continue to do it but be as many places as possible right that's what you got to do in media today because there are so many options i'll tell you the opportunity has never been greater i mean i'm a testimony for that i'm a railroad mechanic and i've been able to to, to just talk to all these amazing people so far from my bedroom closet here you know so uh, it's if, if i could do it Certainly anybody can do it. So the possibilities have never been greater. And I wanted to talk to you now about, you know, a contentious issue here, which is constantly in the sports news is when it's uh, we have transgender um, women who are essentially men competing in women's sports. I know we've seen that, especially which came to light with the swimming at uh, UPenn. Uh, where you had a guy swimming uh, on the women's team and made everybody uncomfortable. It's unbelievable to me that we're even have, having these conversations. Uh, but what is your take here on uh, trans women competing uh, against real women in sports? Well, it's ridiculous. And it's, it's obviously ridiculous. It's one of these issues that I know that it's ridiculous because I can, I'm having a hard time even finding people arguing for it now. The argument against when we say things like it's ridiculous is just, well, there's not a lot of incidents of this happening. So shut up about it already. Stop talking about it. It's not a big issue. Well, I know then that everyone on the other side even agrees with this, right? It's just stop talking about it because it's not in line with our talking points and it's not that big of an issue. But it's obviously unfair. It's obviously not right. And I think we're in this place right now where everything and every effort's being done to adjudicate the past. So anything that has been a certain way for years and years and generations and generations, we need to expunge. And we need to look under with a microscope and see if that's right and change it. There are many things over time that should have changed and have changed because that's how society progresses, right? And that's a good thing in a, in a lot of ways, right? I think our country as a whole right now is a lot less racist than it was a generation ago or two generations ago or three generations ago. That's a very good thing. But in terms of separate bathrooms for boys and girls and men and women, 
and men competing in sports against each other and women competing in sports against each other. This is not some just old timey thing that needs to be examined. It's what's supposed to happen. Men and women are different physically. It is a health and safety concern when you start having men compete, biological men compete against women in certain sports. Now in swimming with Leah Thomas that you mentioned at Penn, that's not a you know a safety concern because it's not a physical sport. They're in different lanes. Leah Thomas isn't going to physically hurt someone. It's just totally unfair that Leah Thomas, who was a below average swimmer on the men's side, can now be transgender and go dominate women's swimming. I mean, you say that to anyone with a brain, and they're going to say, well, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and it doesn't make any sense. So it's something we got to be vigilant about. It's something I'll talk to my daughters about at some point. If we run into a situation where, you know, we had Marcellus Wiley on the show, the former ESPN host, who said this happened to one of his daughters and talked about it and said, it's not going to happen. We're not, you're not going to play against a biological male and, and didn't allow her to play. So it's a, if, it's, if this continues to be a thing, it will be a conversation I have to have with my daughters. And my stance on it is it's not going to happen. She's not going to play in a league that allows that. And I, I think most parents probably feel the same way. Yeah, well said, Chad. And, and that leads me right into this. We just had equal pay day was that was the hashtag. I didn't know that was like a, a day, but it was apparently equal pay uh, for men and women, and w- which was interesting was that uh, all the ESPNs and even the president, uh, Biden, everybody seemed to agree that there was only two genders on equal pay day. No, the other 38, 40 genders got dropped like a wet banana. Nobody <laughs> talked about those. It was only men and women. But we see this. And one of the equality things comes with uh, how athletes are being paid, uh, men's athletes against women's athletes and for me it seems like a common sense answer you're in the sports business of covering this stuff is there any interest in women's sports to anywhere near the capacity as the men's sports and if so which sports is it well it's it's supply and demand and it's it's basic economics so women's tennis is a good example women's tennis stars are some of the highest paid female athletes in the world well there is a lot of interest in women's tennis you know, there's not a huge difference in the top women's matches and the top men's matches in, in terms of interest. Men's tennis is bigger, but women's tennis is very good and, and very popular. Um, the WNBA next to the NBA or next to men's college basketball is not popular and it loses money. Right. And it, it's it's not going to make as much revenue. So they're not going to have as much revenue to share with with salaries in the WNBA. That That's not a statement saying that WNBA athletes work any less than NBA players or that it's necessarily right or fair, it's it's a free market economy. That That's what happens, right? If, if my business doesn't make as much money, then I don't have as much money to pay my employees. That's, that's basic dollars and cents, and that's what happens in women's sports. And I think that's where it gets, that's where the economy of it is put aside and said, well, it's just not fair. Well, what's not fair? That you don't have the same television ratings that you're, leagues aren't making the same amount of money. I mean, let's get to the root of, of why that is. And then we can talk about it instead of just going to the next step is, well, I don't care how much money it makes. I want the leagues to lose more money now because we should make the same as the men, even if the NFL and NBA and Major League Baseball, their revenues are such that they can afford to pay the athletes a lot more money. So I just think a lot of times we're missing the, the point of the economy of it. And why it is that in sports, at least, you know, you get different pay for men's and women's sports because men's sports 
get, generate a lot more eyeballs, a lot more ad revenue, and, and they generate more revenue in general so they can distribute that revenue in large sums back to their players. It, it just seems like another common sense uh, conversation that people get bent out of shape about. It's just about bringing value to the marketplace and being rewarded for it. I could say, well, how come I don't get as much uh, revenue as Megan Kelly, for instance, right? She's a podcaster now. I'm a podcaster. Why is she making it? Oh, well, wait a minute. She has 30 times the listenership than I do. Well, that starts to make more sense when we look at it from that perspective. And nobody on Equal Pay Day was arguing, hey, how come female strippers are making a lot more money than male strippers? Like, it seems like yeah. n- n- we avoid all that conversation. But uh, it just seems like you said back hey, at the top. Here's a good way, Alec, by the way, that I, I would avoid all of this. If I owned a professional sports team, uh, my stance would be simple. Uh, we support nothing. There's not a single awareness month that we'll acknowledge. <laughs> There's not one thing that we'll lean into. Our social media feed will be dedicated to the team that I own and selling tickets and promotions that we're doing for our fans and for our players and for our team. And that way we'll never have to apologize for anything because we support nothing. We'll give charitable contributions to groups that we want to give charitable contributions to. It won't be publicized but we'll give our money away that way. And then we just support the team. Our charity would be ourselves, the professional sports team. And I would never have to apologize for a single thing because I acknowledge no awareness month. That would be my simple stance if I owned a pro sports team. Yeah, I I like your style, Chad. All right, you got the... um... Uh, the Outkick 360 going right now. What's coming up next for you? You got any uh, a- anything in the any projects in the works coming up this year? No, you know we're uh, we're we're doing a lot of work with Outkick 360 right now in terms of what's next. Now that we've you know we've left football season, you know we're going into March Madness, so it's really transitional from the the time of season, the sports year that we're in, the sports calendar, and what we're doing. There's gonna be a lot of NFL draft coverage coming up with Outkick 360 and Outkick and. I would just say stand by. You know, there's been a lot of moves made with OutKick, and there could be some some other additions coming soon. We recently hired Kurt Schilling, um, you know, a former great Major League Baseball pitcher with the Red Sox and Phillies and Diamondbacks and others. Uh, he's a part of the OutKick network. So OutKick continues to grow. OutKick 360 continues to grow with myself and Jonathan Hutton. It's been a lot of fun, and hopefully we'll all continue to grow together. Awesome stuff. Yeah, I'll drop a link in the description of this podcast episode so my listeners can get over there and check you guys out. Last thing I want to hit you with here, Chad, I love to ask all the dads that get on the podcast, what kind of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about-to-be father who's out there listening? Just to um, don't get discouraged, right? You know, especially in the beginning, you know, you hear all the bad things. We talked about this earlier. You don't often hear about the good things also, and there's plenty of good things with being a parent even in the early days. Know that your sleep is going to be affected if you're present and doing what you should and, and helping out. Um, and that's just a, a, the fact of life early on in fatherhood. And I would also say that be present in every stage of life with your kid. Don't be looking back at, at what's what's happened already and yearning for that. And don't be just desperate to get to the next thing. Be present in that time of life with your child. And you're going to grow to treasure that. And like I said, I mean, everyone had said life speeds by and it goes so fast with kids. It's been the opposite for me. I feel like life is going at a snail's place, uh, snail's pace a lot slower with kids. So enjoy it. You know, understand that and appreciate every facet of it and every stage you have with your kid. That would that'd be the best advice I could offer to that new dad. Yeah, well said. I'll tell you what, time flew by on this interview. Enjoyed the conversation so much. Uh, I love the advice. Uh, Chad Withrow, you're a first-class father all the way, and thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time here on First Class Fatherhood.
This has been great. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. You have been listening to First Class Fatherhood. Please visit www.firstclassfatherhood.com to find out more details. You can order First Class Fatherhood advice and wisdom from high-profile dads on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Proverbs 22.6 tells us, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will never depart from it. God bless, and I'll catch you next time.